Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I got big news for you today. Two big newses for you today. That's right, here's number one. The Uncharted Online Conference is coming. It has been rethought, recreated, reinvented to try to make the intimate workshop small group experience of the Uncharted Conference happen online. It's not like anything else that's out there. More information is coming soon. Go ahead and save the date, though. That is going to be starting Thursday, June the 11th, and running through Sunday, June 14th. It is going to be incredible, but you go ahead and mark it on your calendar. More information coming out soon. Um, man, I can't wait to get registration open for this. It, it'll be uh, it'll be here before you know it. Be- speaking of before you know it, that's the other big thing. Guys, uh, first of all, the virtual veterinary school graduation was amazing. I mean, just so amazing. Better than I ever hoped it would be. It was incredible. But gang, you know that we're not going to just do something for the veterinary students. Oh, no, no, no. We got to celebrate our technicians. Always got to celebrate our technicians. Vet medicine is a team game. So gang, we will be doing the first ever virtual veterinary technician school graduation. That is right. Sunday, May the 24th. It'll be at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We'll be celebrating our veterinary school technician graduates. And so, our veterinary technician school graduates. That's what I meant. Oh, so, that is what we're going to be doing. I'm going to put the link down below to register. If you are a graduate or if you know a graduate, send them this link. Let them get registered as a graduate. If you are not a graduate but you have friends that you want to celebrate and they're going to be there, I want you there. If you uh, are a family member of a graduate, I want you there. If you are just yourself a technician or a manager who wants to be there to celebrate and to give some advice to these new graduates, I want you there. It's going to be interactive. Uh, The vet school is definitely super interactive. Tons of chat going on. Great stuff in the comments. Lots of tears. Lots of laughter. I really, uh, I just want you to be there. If you want to be there, it's going to be great. So I'll put that link down in the description as well. With that, let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. We are supported by Pet Desk. Guys, I don't know about you, but the word telemedicine gives me some anxiety. I mean, what are we talking about here? Multiple programs. We're talking about staff training. We're talking about getting the clients on board. Sounds like a massive headache. But gang, with Pet Desk, you get access to their industry-leading support team. They're going to jump in and help your practice get up and get going with all the support that you need. You'll be doing telemessaging in no time. And I'm talking about things like two-way messaging with clients. That includes photos and videos and coming soon video chat. So you can extend your exams out of the office to where your pet owners are. What's even better is that you get 30 days free with Pet Desk just for being an Uncharted listener. Head over to PetDesk.com Uncharted to get started. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie working for the man goss. <laughs> well, I like that one. Oh uh, yeah. Working for the man. Working for the man. Oh. <laughs> uh, how's it going? It's good. It is good. I'm uh feeling pretty good about things these days. We are Roll along towards our digital conference starting June 11th. It's going to be pretty amazing. Uh, lots of details coming out about that. Feeling good. Um, yeah, life is life is good. So things are good here. And uh, good gosh, the I was going to say the kids are almost out of school for the summer. It doesn't matter. They, like the difference in them being in school at home and out of school for the summer. Exactly the same. yeah i was just talking to a friend this morning about how difficult it's going to be when the kids actually do have to go back to school because i don't know about yours but despite like sticking to our regular schedule my children are still wide awake at 9 30 10 o'clock at night and they normally go to bed at like 7 45 8 o'clock so getting back onto a normal routine and the schedule is going to be hard yeah oh man (laughs) oh i just I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just ready to have some sort of a normal. It's kind of broken down. It's like a frat party that's just not ending at my house, you know? Uh-huh. Like I I get up and there's people asleep on the floor. Yes. And you know, it's just yeah. conti- we've we've given up on meal times. It's just sort of continuous yeah. eating through the day and Yes. Yeah, it's it's time for it's some hard. structure. It's hard. All right. It's hard. All right. Oh, so, we've got a really 
We've got a good one this okay. time. Um, this one's a little bit long, so I think we're probably going to unpack it in chunks. Um, but we'll kind of we'll kind of go through the the whole thing. Um, but this comes to us. Um, ooh, this person needs a secret identity. Um, this comes to us from someone who is a new grad. Uh, they've been out of school about a year and a half, and mm-hmm. they took a job at a two doctor practice where their boss um the practice owner is the other veterinarian so um it's a small practice they are super concerned about the way that their dental um cleanings are being done so they currently have a single technician who is monitoring the patient and while they're monitoring is also charting cleaning taking x-rays and doing um extractions so currently the only thing that the veterinarians are doing is looking at the x-rays and uh, interpreting the x-rays, telling the technicians what they want to do in terms of dental extractions. um, And the technicians are doing all of the rest. And so um, this person is concerned because they recently learned that where they are located, um, it is illegal for veterinary technicians to perform extractions. And so when they brought this up to their boss, the practice owner and the practice manager, um, they acknowledged that they knew that it was illegal and that everybody in the area has been working this way without any issues for years and years and years. They also brought up the fact that the technicians are significantly faster with extractions. Um, and especially because this doctor is new to the whole vet thing and uh, particularly to dentistry. And so they are really struggling with trying to convince their boss that they should be doing the dentals um, when the practice owner is looking at it from the perspective of this doctor being much more productive being in the exam room or doing other things at the same time and letting the technicians who are breezing through dentals do their thing. Yeah. Um, so that's the first, the first big chunk. Um, and then the second chunk is, is that this veterinarian is very uncomfortable with the idea that they do not have a dedicated nurse anesthetist, um, that they just have one person who is monitoring while they're doing and it sounds like their practice setup they talk about having dedicated monitoring for surgical patients but aren't um, in fact always doing that and um, she's said or he or she said that when they brought it up to the practice owner uh, what the practice owner was talking to clients about is just the fact that the dental is being done not necessarily acknowledging who is doing it unless a client is specifically asking um, and when they ask that the answer is that the veterinarians are supervising the procedure which is in fact true um, but they're not outright acknowledging the fact that their technicians have received training and are doing the stuff and the things yeah so um, this vet recently talked to their boss about the fact that they were uncomfortable with a lot of things and that they wanted to start doing their own dental procedures and including a dedicated um, anesthesia technician and the practice owner's suggestion at compromise was to offer 30 minutes of time blocked off during each procedure to spend with each dental patient. And so this vet um, said, I, I want to recommend that my patients have professional dental cleanings. I want full mouth x-rays. I want extractions if they're needed, but I'm not comfortable lying to our clients and being a part of something illegal. And therefore, I feel like I don't want to recommend that the procedure be performed at the clinic that I'm working for. And I don't know what to do. Help, please. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this is a fun one there because there's some legality here. There's some ethics here. There's some communication here. Okay. So let's unpack this. Uh, First thing is headspace, right? We, if, if I am a new grad, I need to get my head straight. There's also some information that new grad needs to have that uh, he, he might not have. Okay, cool. So first thing I need you to go do is go and sit on this a little bit mm-hmm. and this feels like an issue of ethics to me right right and and again maybe this is a, 
this is this all seems fairly easy to me. Um, but but I'll tell you this is because one of my core values is integrity above all else, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is that is a big deal for me. Integrity above all else, and so I'm going to go sit with this, and I have to figure out is uh, is this an ethical issue when I say uh, and we'll ask about the legal issue first. Is it ethical issue? Issue is the standard of care low enough that I feel my patients' lives are at risk, or that I feel that pets are suffering? Um, yeah, that that that's a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. There is a difference in me saying I think these pets are in pain because of what we're doing versus me saying I'd really like this pet to have uh, a person sit with them while they recover from anesthesia. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Uh, both of those are are valid. Uh, I feel more strongly, obviously, about pain control than I wish I had this extra coverage, you know? Right. And so right. when we start to mm-hmm. have these ethical problems, there's a lot of things. I guess what I'm really trying to get at here is separating the what I would like versus what is the line in the sand of I'm not going to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's mm-hmm. the question that we all we all have to ask is, is this a, I don't like this. I don't like the way that the doctors around me do this. I don't like the way my clinic does it. One of the (laughs) unfortunate realities that I have found in veterinary medicine is there is always something in your practice that you're like, I wish we didn't do this. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't done this way. I wish the other doctors wouldn't do that. And if that one thing is something you have an ethical issue with, you know, if they're doing procedures that you morally strongly disagree with, then, then you need to go, you need to leave. You need right. to say, they, my, I am not able to be here. I cannot be a part of this. If right. they are doing something, you go, I really wish that that other doctor would use a different sedation protocol. I really don't like what they're doing, but it is not reckless and it's not, um, you know what I mean? And it is not at a point where I feel that it's so unsafe. I, I don't want to be here. And so those are, those are vague lines, but we need to be thinking about what those lines are. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is where are the lines? Is this an ethical issue to the point where you say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And if the answer is I'm not doing this, then that's a that's easy conversation. You know that that makes everything else easy. Yeah, yeah, and and the other piece of it I think that plays into it is um, along with ethics is as you were saying is the values because I think that our values help us create boundaries. And so for me, the first thing that I thought through. Um, when I, when I read this was, is this a black and white boundary for this person? Because if this is, and they, the practice has said, this is what we're doing. We don't care that it's illegal. That to me makes an easy conversation to say that this is probably not the best fit for you and that there is not going to be negotiation here and that you are going to continue to be upset and, and, um, angry and frustrated and worried about your patients and all of those things. And so that is, as easy as it may not feel to walk away, it's also um, easier to me to have that clearly defined boundary and just say, this is something that I'm not okay with. And so I'm going to find a position where I can be okay with what is happening in regards to this. For the sake of learning, let's take the legality out of it. Cause I I, I think that that that's a big thing. Um, I think, I think so many of us deal with ethical issues in vet medicine. It's just loaded with ethical issues in vet medicine. Sure. Um, can I work in a practice that does D clause? If I do not morally uh, believe in D clause, if I am fundamentally opposed and doctors all over uh, the U S wrestle with that today and go, I want to do this. But one guy at our practice totally uh, does them. Is this an issue that means I'm going to walk if that guy keeps going? And, and again, I'm not, I'm not weighing in on, on those issues, but I'm saying that there's a lot of us who look at those eth- ethics or our clinic has a relationship with a breeder that right. I don't, uh, I, that I think is a puppy mill. And I don't think we should be uh, in any way associated with those people. There's always uh, moral ethical issues because so much of what we do has ethics and morals uh, tied up in it. And so take the legality of it for a second, because um, mm-hmm. 
because sussing through the morality is important. So it's yeah. easy for me to say, you just decide, is this a moral thing or not a moral thing? Does that cross that line? Um, that's much harder to really come to. And a lot of times we are troubled, but be like, it's hard to objectively put a number on how troubled I am and say, well, this is an eight on my troubled scale. And six is my acceptable level where it's worth me keeping this job. That that's right. really hard. So the things that I that I always like to tell people is um, if I'm if I'm wrestling, I'm troubled. The question I ask myself is why do I care about this? Like why is this important to me? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I want to hear my own thoughts. And, and by by looking at it that way, it helps me. So like, um, why am I opposed to declawing? Well. This is what the research says about the pain of the pets, the long-term outcome. Like I've got real good reasons. And I, and, and as I lay them out, I go, okay, I am not doing this procedure. Like I, I you know, I, I, like that's, that's where I am. My why, uh, takes me to that point. Oftentimes we, when we ask ourselves, well, why do we not want to do this? Well, the answer becomes, um, that's not the best medicine. Or when we really get into it, we go, well, that's not the gold standard of care, or that's not how I was taught how to do it. And that's especially true. I see these questions in new graduates all the time. And there's Mm -hmm. two reasons, because new graduates are going and getting new jobs, and so they're entering into new jobs. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the problems are significant and real, and they're experiencing them because they are being hired, because they're new grads. Um... Or, and I would say another part of that is uh, there's a, there's a chance that I see it so much from new grads is maybe they having not practiced in practices, maybe they miss some of the flags that more experienced doctors or techs would see when they went in and go, Oh, there's something here that I don't, I don't like, or it rubs me the wrong way. If this is your first job, you you probably don't have those uh, little warning bells in the back of your mind. And so maybe that's another reason I see it a lot in, in new grads. But the other reason I see a lot in new grads is new grads go to vet school. They are in the ivory tower academia learning from specialists and they learn the gold standard, which they should. And that's great. But veterinary practices in private practice do not all practice the gold standard. They practice a broad spectrum of healthcare from a lower standard that's generally more affordable to the gold standard, which is uh, the most expensive. And I think that we can all make a solid case and see the logic of, we can't all practice the gold standard because if we did, then a lot of pet owners could not take care of their pets and even get basic services. And, you know, the truth in vet medicine is people get what they pay for. You know, there's, there's a reason that the inexpensive vet practice is inexpensive. And I'm not saying they mm-hmm. cut corners or they're doing anything wrong, but they don't, they're not doing CT scans right. and abdominal ultrasounds for vomiting patients uh, on a first visit the way that the specialty right. hospital is. They're just not. Right. And, right. and again, not good or bad. It's, it's a variety of practice um, standards to allow accessibility to, to medicine because people are paying out of pocket. So I think new graduates come out having been trained at the gold standard. And a lot of times it is, it is jarring and they will go into a practice that does not practice the gold standard in some way, shape or form. And they go, Oh my gosh, this is not how I learned, or this is not what it should be. And so I think for all of us as vets coming into the pra- or profession, there has been this adjustment phase, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what is, um, if you will only, only practice the gold standard, if you are like, that is all that I will do is the way that I learned it at vet school, you should probably go try to go get a job at the vet school then because mm-hmm. that's, that's where they do it. Or you should go back and get a residency so you can work at a specialty hospital and practice specialty level medicine. And there are some other jobs, I guess, that will let people practice that gold standard. Most of us are somewhere... Uh, between that and the high volume, low cost clinics. And, and um, I personally am comfortable at the higher end of that uh, spectrum towards the higher cost medicine. That's, that's where I Mm -hmm. like to practice, but I've got nothing against my colleagues that run the low cost 
uh, high mm-hmm. volume practices because they're providing mm-hmm. a service. And as long as they are being responsible, um, yeah, yeah, I don't expect yeah. that. You know that the I don't expect the shelter vet is sitting with every patient she spays or neuters while they recover. Right. I, I, right. I just don't. That's just not yeah. that's economically. It just doesn't work. And so, yeah. yeah, I think we all have to have to we have to kind of look at those things and, uh, and and get our head around what that means. So deciding what your line is, is a lot more complicated when it is not a legal issue than I think yeah. a lot of us think. Yeah. So I um, what I find interesting in terms of the values discussion was what this veterinarian said at the very end of their uh, email. And they said that they want to recommend that their patients have professional dental cleanings, full mouth x-rays and extractions when needed. And so my question to them is, okay, is that actually their boundary? Is that actually their line in the sand? Or do they want to say that and say, I have a dedicated nurse anesthetist who's monitoring your patient. I'm, you know, I'm involved to what degree. I think it's really important that we that we figure out what those um, values are for us from for anybody who's involved in veterinary veterinary medicine, and then we seek out practices where our values are in alignment with the practices values because I've never seen it work out successfully for anyone when they have been in a practice environment where there is a misalignment of those values. And so yeah. I think that that it's not right or wrong. It's just a matter of getting to know yourself and you can't blame a new grad if they've never worked in a practice environment and they come out and in, in practice, they may have felt like, Hey, I feel like, you know, I'm graduating vet school and I feel like dentistry is important, but then you get into the real practice um, environment and all of a sudden something that they, you know, didn't really think a whole lot about now really matters to them. And it's okay to say, this is something that I now that I've been practicing for a year and a half, I feel very strongly about. And so I'm going to, make a change um, in my position, whether it's at this practice or moving to another practice, so that I can feel comfortable and confident with the medicine that I'm practicing. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's, I love that you put it on on personal values, just because there is, and that's why this is such a hard issue. There is such a broad spectrum of um, of what is okay in veterinary medicine. We've talked before, we've got other uh, podcast episodes about this. Um, you know, I've explained it before. But I'll say it again. In my mind, there is the gold standard is up at the top. And then there is a fairly large space of perfectly acceptable, less than gold standard, mm-hmm. right? Not as good as the gold standard, but I am comfortable saying, hey, if the, if this is what the client has and this is what they can afford, then I am comfortable not doing the gold standard. We're not going to take x-rays today. We're going to treat empirically. And if your pet is still vomiting tomorrow uh, because he looks great right now, I will see you back tomorrow or, you know, whatever. But you get the point, right? There's, And then at some point you hit a a level of malpractice and you say, this is not an acceptable standard. So when I say, hey, we can be flexible, I am at no point in my talking about going into the malpractice level. So everybody, everybody should know that. But in between malpractice and gold standard, there is a huge amount of space that you see across practices. Hmm. I'm not saying that every vet should be like, if it's not malpractice, then I'm comfortable doing it. No, you need to figure out where your values are and what's important Mm -hmm. to you, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and do those. There's, um, there's two different skills, right? That vets can have. And, um, to some degree, they come into direct conflict. The first is perfectionism, like just being like, I do it right. I do it the best way. That is how it's done. This is what you need, uh, to do and, and blank. And there's value in perfectionism because those are the people who stand up and they push our profession profession forward. And they're saying, we need to be doing a better job and we need to be getting better and doing this. And that, that, that is virtuous and it's good. The other attribute is flexibility. And it's saying, I have a Parvo puppy and $200 to work with. Right. And right. I, well, I am not, you know, we, I, I am using popsicle sticks here, you know, to, to, to build the thing that, that I need to make this, to make this work. And I, I don't think you can crap on those people either of being like, well, this is not ideal, but this is what I have. And guys, a lot of them, that is the essence of veterinary medicine as well. 
And so we have to we have to balance those those two things. And mm-hmm. I think that as a new graduate, it's very hard to say, am I just a am I just a perfectionist? Or, you know, or is this a am I a perfectionist who's rolling their eyes at something that's just not how I was taught to do in vet school? Or right. is this something that is just genuinely unacceptable to me and how I practice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so that's it. Um, the, th- unless you want to unpack that further, I'd say let's throw in the legality part right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think that, um, that layers on top of what you just said about, um, vets feeling like they have moved into the level of malpractice, or in this case, you have a spectrum of, legal and illegal. And this veterinarian is like, okay, we've moved away from something that is totally legal and allowable into something that is totally clearly illegal where I live and therefore not, not okay. Shouldn't be okay in any way, shape or form, but it's definitely not okay to this, to this person either in terms of the values and ethics matchup. Yeah. Here's what, uh, here's what I would think, right? If I was this vet, and it's also what I would say to this vet: when you get something like this, where you say this is not legal, this is malpractice, and the owner says, "Look, we've been doing. Everybody does it this way. Look, the truth is that's your license. When it's your patient, and 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 maybe your staff is amazing, but with my luck." It will go wrong. If something's going to go bad mm-hmm. wrong, it's going to go bad mm-hmm. wrong on my patient, not my bosses. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to be the one who gets hauled in front of the state board. And they're going to say, that's not legal. That's illegal. Mm-hmm. That's that's not in the practice act. Like You're not able to do mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. what am I going to say? Everybody else breaks the rule too. That doesn't ha- help. And I mean, yeah. I think a lot of us think like, oh, well, my boss will get in trouble. No, you're a doctor. And right. you have a license. I have a DEA right. license. And right. I, you know, and I don't want to lose it. Right. So the biggest trouble I've ever gotten in from like a disciplinary pro, uh, point as a doctor was um, I was, uh, I was, I, I was working at a, a great practice and someone in position of power asked me to dispense uh, controlled drugs to be delivered to another place and it was going to be out of my control. And And I I don't even exactly remember the specifics, but I said, no, I'm not in there. And I was like the only doctor at the, at the practice. And I got in a lot of trouble for not doing what I was told to do, but I'm like, it's my DA license and it's my, you know, and I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not going to do it. And so I got, that was the time I got written up and it was like, you know what? I would do it again. <laughs> and like, yep. and again, like that's, that's it, you know? So, so yeah. we, we do kind of make those calls. So in this case, to me, um, that's the thing I would put onto the vet and say, Hey, look, um, this is, this is your license. If, if your, if your case goes sideways, they're not going to come down on your boss. Uh, they might, but, but that's not going to get you out of anything. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, especially that, that, that just tends to, to weigh a lot to me. So in this case, the legality stuff makes it a lot easier of like, Hey, this is your license. Just so you know, mm-hmm. for me, when I read through this, this is kind of where it stopped was like, okay, here's a veterinarian. They're working in a practice where there is not an alignment of values and they are being asked to practice in an illegal manner. They are not comfortable with that. Find a new job. Like that's, that's for me where this ended. However, I do think that this provides us an excellent opportunity to talk about, um, let's pretend for a second that it's not actually illegal with where this veterinarian is practicing and it falls into the shades of gray. For me, the next step in this is how do you as an associate, as a practice manager, as a CSR, as a technician, anybody who's not the practice owner, how do you voice concerns to that person who ultimately has the decision-making power? Mm. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is fun. But yeah, so let's take the legality back out of this. And, mm-hmm. and I love it. We're in shades of gray. This is not uh, a legal issue anymore. This is just trying to figure something out. Uh, the first, the first approach to this is to seek first to understand, like mm-hmm. ask the question, why is it this way? Mm-hmm. I've, I've worked at a practice where they didn't 
carry any of the big gun opioids. And what that means is we didn't have hydromorphone for mm-hmm. surgery. We didn't have morphine. We didn't have fentanyl. Um, and so I was like, why, why don't we have these things? When the truth is that they, uh, the practice had had a problem with someone stealing drugs and overdosing. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, we went through this terrible thing and the owner won't, he just won't have them. And, 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 and as a result, we, he's not doing orthopedic surgery. Like he would rather change the surgery protocols than carry these medications because mm-hmm. of this traumatic thing that happened. And I go, well, I, that's frustrating for me to not have these things, mm-hmm. but I have a much better perspective and understanding about where he's coming from and mm-hmm. why we don't have them and what his philosophy is. It is clearly not that he doesn't understand the medical benefit of these. This is a traumatic event that has shaped his decision. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still going to have the conversation, but I'm going to come at it from an informed perspective and know that he might shoot it right down or he might, you know, say it's been a decade and, now, you know, and I'm okay to to revisit this now. And maybe I'll point at some of the new security systems or uh, a four eyes program that requires two people to get into those uh, medication boxes. And, and maybe there's something like that I can do to put his fears at ease about people abusing drugs, about people um, take, you know, like using them, uh, overdosing, things like that. Like if that's the concern, maybe there's a solution and a system that will meet his concerns and let me do what I want. But I'm not going to talk to him about the drug box security system and, you know, two, two person access. If I don't understand why we don't have these drugs, it's, it's Mm -hmm. amazing how, how often we get, we get fired up and we run in there and we start talking about opioid agonists and the, you know, peer reviewed research. And the truth is he knows all that stuff. It's a problem of drug security, but we just make an assumption about what this is and and Mm -hmm. then, and then go off half cocked. And so the first Mm -hmm. thing to do is just be like, Hey, I noticed that we do this. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that? And it sounds like that's what our new graduate did here is to say, Mm -hmm. why don't we do this? And he says, oh, because nobody faster, nobody, exactly. Nobody else does it. And so the nice thing is he's, he's told you that he said, nobody else does it before I just give my two weeks notice and walk away. Um, I would, and this is, this is why you want to network, right? You want to know people that work in other hospitals around you. Uh, I would kind of very quietly be like, Hey, just, I'm just curious, do you guys have uh, doctors doing your extractions or do you, uh, I, because uh, if he says everybody else is doing it, if I can say, you know, actually my friend works at uh, the other practice across town and they do not do it this way at all. I can start to pick apart his argument and, you know, and, and give him, uh, give him meaningful facts and, and work on what, what the real issue is. Right. Right. Well, and, um, and that in this argument, the veterinarian said, you know, the technicians are faster. um, And this is being a new grad feels like that is true. There's a big difference between um, when you talk about technicians being faster, I have seen technicians be twice as fast as myself or my counterparts with dentistry. But they were twice as fast because they weren't taking post-extraction rads and they weren't doing things that elevated the standard of care. And when we started doing those things, we discovered that they were twice as fast because lots of things were getting missed. And so I think that's part of the conversation here too is are they are they twice as fast? Because if they're able to be twice as fast and are still doing a complete and thorough job and the medicine is sound, then I think that argument kind of falls apart. Mm. But if there really is truth to that, and if they're twice as fast because they're missing pathology because they don't know to look for it because they didn't go to vet school or, you know, they're breaking off roots and leaving them because they're not doing post-extraction rads, that is absolutely a medicine conversation that you can and should have with your fellow veterinarians just from a level of, I want to talk about the standard of care of medicine that we're providing for our patients. Yeah, no, I, I complete, I completely agree. You know, 
I, um, if, if your thought, and I say, why, you know, why do you care about this? If you say, well, because doctors should be doing this work, but it's totally legal for technicians to do this work and your practice is investing in technician training and things like that. That's a, that's not an ethical issue. You know what I mean? That's a perception problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what I would say mm -hmm. is, I think, I think you need, I think you need to get over that, you know? Right. But yeah. All, all those things, all those things definitely, um, they make, they make a big difference. So the first mm -hmm. thing is, why is this the way that it's done? I, I, mm -hmm. I want to understand that that's going to help me approach mm -hmm. it, understand what I'm up against, what the real issue is. The second part mm -hmm. I want to do is take and weave into that. Like, what does your boss care about? And so that's just, this is my general advice for talking to bosses and managers when you're not that is, uh, what does your boss care about? And so if the boss cares about, um, uh, patient comfort and patient outcomes, then let's talk about how doctors doing these extractions increases patient, uh, benefits, you know, like whatever, if it's a finances, if the doctor wants to run a healthy business and making a profit is important, then let's talk about how we can make this make financial sense to have the doctors spending doctor time doing these extractions over the technicians. Like let's, let's talk about that. If it's, um, I don't know, they, they, they just want to, they want to do kind of what everybody else is doing. Then let's talk about how other practices are, are not doing it this way and are instead using the technicians. Usually what owners tend to care about is, um, in my experience, it's about patient care, it's about uh, making uh, money. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's about their own simplicity of life. And so like the, a lot of practice owners just, they don't, they've got plenty of headaches. They want things to make their life easier. And so if you can take your position, what mm -hmm. you care about, and you can talk about improving patient care, you can talk about generating more revenue and, or you can talk about making their life simpler then uh, then that's what you should talk about. In this case, just reading between the lines, I suspect that this is a simplicity doctor who just likes to have the techs do the teeth so that he doesn't have to do it. And, uh, and I, I, I can't tell that for sure, but I suspect it, which means we're going to have to kind of craft an argument to help get him over that hurdle. Well, and they also, they also mentioned that their boss feels like they make more money in the exam room than they do when they're seeing patients than they do if they're involved in dentistry. And so that is a, that is um, clearly also part of the discussion for this. I, I agree with you that it's about the simplicity from the boss's life perspective. Um, and that's a really easy argument to put together. I mean, if, if you're like, if this doesn't change, I'm going to walk away from this job. There's nothing wrong with having a conversation and saying, Hey, look at all of these, um, all of these articles, and there are millions of them out there um, in our field that show how much we now know we can generate revenue-wise from performing high-quality dentistry and elevating the standard of care and the level of medicine that we're providing when we provide dentistry for our patients and following those kind of standards of care, what it generates in terms of revenue on the pathology side for what we find under the gum line. That's a no brainer conversation for me. Yeah. So I, I think about our friend Tasha McNerney, who's a, a specialty technician uh, in anesthesia and uh, she started anesthesia nerds, which is a great uh, social media group there on Facebook. You should totally join them uh, regardless of, of what your role is in the hospital, but she's amazing. She feels very, very strongly about dental blocks. She thinks mm -hmm. dental blocks are easy. They should be done. The technicians can do them. Like this is a big, big deal for her. And it should be. I mean, she, she makes great points about it. it like it's important. I, I have no doubt that if she went to work at a practice and they were like, oh yeah, we don't do dental nerve blocks. First of mm -hmm. all, she, she would have asked that when she went to interview and right. she would never end up in that job because she wouldn't take it. But if she ended up in that right. job, um, that would be a moral issue for her of going, this is easy to stop. And, uh, these pets are in pain and this is a great way to control pain. And the fact that we don't care enough to do this simple thing to reduce uh, pain. And again, that's, that's how she, that's how she sees it. Um, she would, that would cross her line in the sand and right. she would leave. But I imagine she would go and she would say, Hey, look, this is what's going on. This is what we need to do. Can we please start to do this, this is very important. And she would, she would ask first, but as if they said, no, 
I don't think she would lose a lot of sleep. She would say, okay, you're not going to do this. I simply, I cannot stay here. At that point, it's all over but the crying, you know, like right. she's, um, right. she's done. And so this would be an easy conversation. Essentially, you would go and you would say, um, I'm not able to work here as long as we're doing this thing. And if we can't start doing it, then uh, that's going to be really difficult for me. And if that did not change the situation, then she would go get another job. And, and I think when we get into the moral things, I, I think that, that that is the nice thing, is that when you get to a point and you say, um, I'm not happy here, I feel guilty about this when I go home, uh, I, I think that the fact that our vet, our new grad vet is wrestling with, I don't feel comfortable recommending dental procedures. That's mm -hmm. a big deal for me. If mm -hmm. you're like, I'm not going to do what I think is good medicine because of the way that we do it. I yeah. just, I don't think I could work at that place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are things where I go, it annoys the crap out of me that people don't do it this way, do whatever this way. Mm -hmm. But I have not ever gotten to the place where I've been like, I'm not going to recommend dentistry, which this pet needs because of how it's done here. I, I, I feel like that's a, that's a big, that's a big line, but that would be a fairly easy conversation. Once you've decided I can't work here, then what, what else is there? Yeah. And I think the, the last piece on this for me, that's really important, um, is uh, when you're having that conversation, it's really important that you not um, throw down anything that you're not willing to follow through on. Yes. You know, don't don't say I'm going to leave if you actually have no intention of leaving. Um, and also, you know, don't it, it doesn't need to be threatening towards the other veterinarian, because as we've talked about to this point, there's such a rainbow in between both ends of the spectrum. And it's not necessarily wrong that another veterinarian wants to practice in a way that is different from you. Um, so I don't think poking at them or threatening them for why they're practicing the way that they are is at all the right approach. I think it's just really important to say this is something that is really important to me. And I think that I would be best suited um, to find a position somewhere else. And if you say that, mean it. And, yeah. and go, don't throw it out there if you're not prepared to follow through on it. Yeah. Even if you are prepared to follow through on it, giving people ultimatums and making threats, yeah. that is more likely to trigger people and drive them into a defensive position or an angry position mm -hmm. or, you know, a, 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 an ashamed position that then manifests as anger, you know, mm -hmm. and, and make them just hunker down as opposed to giving you what you want. No one wants to get an ultimatum and give in. And even if they do give in, they are going to resent you forever. Like that, that will never go away that you did. You gave them an ultimatum to get what you wanted. Um, and so, yeah, to be clear, be honest, uh, be upfront about what you need. And if they won't give it to you, uh, be gone. Yeah. I think about, um, I think about this one actually, and I've experienced it a lot um, over the years with my technicians who come in and sit down to have the conversation about they can go work at a pra another practice in town and make X amount more than I can pay them. Um, and for me, this is always one where I get very frustrated when that is the approach that is chosen because it does immediately um, make me defensive. And it mm -hmm. also... Um, it also is very frustrating because they, um, when you when you choose this tactic, you are trying to force me to play with something that I don't have any control over. I don't have any control over the fact that the clinic on the other side of town is going to pay you five dollars more an hour. I don't have also have any control over their work environment or their culture or their team or how they practice medicine. And so we could be comparing apples to oranges. And so for me, that that difference, that isn't something that I can control. And so by taking the argument into that territory, it has never 
worked out <laughs> very well for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I, but I do see, and I see it a lot. And so for me, um, you know, the better point is to say, this is what I want. This is what I need, especially from this veterinarian's perspective. Like this is something I feel very strongly about. This is something I need to have in practice. I am okay with that. And as a manager, I have to be okay to either say, I understand that I cannot provide that for you in this environment. And so I understand if you need to make a change and go somewhere else or to say, oh, I had no idea that you felt so strongly about that. This seems like something that we could change or could fix or whatever. Let's talk about this some more. Right. I agree. Um, When you go through this exercise and you decide that the issue is not worth quitting over. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't like this, but it, you know, it's, it's legal. Um, I don't like it. It's not how I would do it. I wish we did it differently. I've articulated that. I have been told either directly or indirectly that this change is not going to get made. Right. Uh, at, at that point, you've got three options, right? You can say, well, if they're not going to change it, I really hate it to the point that I'm going to leave. And that's, that's your, right. that's your right, right? It's always, we're always picking our poison. Do you stay in a practice where there's a thing that happens that frustrates you? And uh, if this is your first job, I'll just go ahead and save you a lot of time and let you know that there will <laughs> always be something that frustrates you. They just, right. they just will. Like, it's just, that's yes. part of having a job and being a grown up. is that there's, there's something that frustrates you. <laughs> so you can, uh, you know, you can decide, uh, I hate this to the point that I'm going to leave. Um, you can get on board with what is going on or... Uh, depending on what it is, you can often say, that's not how I'm going to do it. Um, other doctors in the practice might do it that way. I can't control them. I can't change them. The practice will not change the standards, um, but it's not in a handbook and I can do it this way. And so if you get a dentistry with me, you bet your bottom dollar you're getting nerve, do- nerve blocks, even if that's not the practice protocol. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think those, yeah, are, your, and- those are your options. And I mean, how many times I, I know that I've seen it countless times, especially in smaller practices like this, where there's there's two doctors or even three, where as a technician, you're you're practicing medicine three different ways, completely radically different mm-hmm. ways with each individual doctor. They cultivate a client base that is open to that. And there are plenty of practices out there that have two vastly differing styles when it comes to surgery or anesthesia or, um, you know, wellness protocols. And one doctor recommends this and the other doctor recommends that. Um, I don't, I, I struggle with that. It's not the kind of environment that I would want to practice in, but there are plenty of very successful practices that have teams that operate quite successfully in that environment. And so I don't think that there, if it isn't a red flag line in the sand for this veterinarian, I don't think that there's anything wrong with um, saying, this is what I want to do and how I want to do it. If your boss ultimately comes back to you and says, no, that's, you're not, I'm not going to allow you to do that. Then it's taken out of your hands and you know right. that you're going to want to move on and yeah. find another or job. The, or you, or you've got two options. You can either get on board or, or, right. you, can, or you can leave. Yeah. Right. And, and again, like it, there's, I'm always wary of throwing this out and say, well, you know, sometimes maybe you can, you can decide, well, I'm not going to do it that way. It, it depends. If your practice has written protocols on uh, surgical induction mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm not doing it that way, but the whole staff has been trained that way. They're all set up that way. All the other doctors do it that way. That's probably not a, a place where you can or should do it right. your way. Like you either need to get on board or not do surgery. You know, and you may not have to leave, but you may just not do surgery. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing where you can change. Uh, the The example of the dental nerve blocks, um, my team could run the program th- the exact same way they do for all the other doctors. And right. then I say, before anybody extracts anything, uh, I want you to let me know so I can see it. And that's probably not a big deal. And when I look and go, yep, then I'm going to pull out my lidocaine or my uh, bupivacaine and I am going to uh, to numb this stuff up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that shouldn't bother anybody. It shouldn't impact the team and the stress, you know? So there, I guess that's what I mean when I say there are things where I go, Oh, if I want to do nerve blocks, but the team is not doing nerve blocks, it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't throw anything off for me just to say, Hey, let me know before you extract anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to numb this mouth up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the last point that I would make 
And, um, and uh, I, I encourage new graduates and everybody to, um, to just really hear this. Do not lie to the clients. Like <laughs> just, just do, do not lie. And, and if, and if something goes wrong, come clean and come clean as early as possible. And I, that I just, I, again, this, well, again, this from a guy who's, we say core value is integrity above all else. Uh, yeah. Do not lie to the clients. Just do not lie. And if there's something that goes wrong, do not wait to see if it gets better or, you know, just come clean as early as possible so that they know and uh, so that they don't think you're, you're holding out on them. But just communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, and just, yeah, that, that's just that's that's just a lesson that I've learned in practice. And I, and I just believe really strongly own it, own it up front, apologize, make it right. Uh, and you will, I just believe in my soul, you will come out better out, uh, better off in the long term. I am so glad you said that because when I read through this and they said that they were, they were uncomfortable with the fact that they, that they were telling clients that there was a dedicated nurse anesthetist and then they were, yeah. they were not intentionally not practicing that way. That was the first thought that went through my head was that lying to a client is a hundred percent at some point going to bite you in the ass, whether that, it's that's finding out. Right. <laughs> like is that, that, that is a them, categorically bad idea. Right. Like do, do you know, taking taking it to the board or worst case scenario, because of that lie, something happens to a pet, like that is just that is just huge. And no matter no matter how big or how small, it just is a very, very bad idea to yeah. lie to clients. Oh yeah. I mean, and there uh the damage to trust if something like that comes out. When it when oh, it comes out, because it always comes out. Right. When it right. comes out, the damage to trust is enormous. Yeah. I mean, people are trusting you with their baby to put them under anesthesia, and you lied to them. Um, right up front, you lied to them. Uh, yeah. There, there are some people who might kind of let that go, or sort of say, "Well, yeah, I guess I understand." But, um, but even beyond just the morality of it, there are people there who would immediately spot that and their flaming, raging sword of justice would come out and say, you do not lie to me about something like this. And they'll burn, they'll burn you down uh, for, for the sake of justice. And, you know, yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to bash them. Right. Yeah. You know I mean, it is what it is. Sweet. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for talking. I hope, I hope. Yeah, I hope this one was helpful for our for our new grad. I think um I you know that when I when I was reading through this, we we got this one. We've been we've been backed up with everything we've done with COVID podcasts and um so it's been a bit since we we got this one and my thought when I was reading it was gosh, I really hope this veterinarian has found another practice. Yes. Um, uh because it just sounded like it was not the right fit for them and um and that's 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, it also sounds like one of the practices that will be like this COVID thing. Nobody right. else is really taking this seriously, so why should we? Anyway, <laughs> making assumptions. All right, cool. Thanks again. <laughs> Talk to you later, Steph. Have a good one. All right, bye. Bye. And that is our episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you have a question, problem, concern, something you would like to get our input on, we'd love to have it. Send us an email. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. Give us enough information and background so that we can really dig into the details. Give yourself a pseudonym if you want, or we'll give you one uh, so you have it. And uh, if this has been helpful, or any of the episodes have been helpful, if you haven't done so, please, 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 Go over to iTunes and write us an honest review of the podcast. That just helps people find us. Uh, it gives me and uh, Steph some feedback. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's super helpful. It's the most helpful thing you can do. So, anyway, just want to ask you for that. Guys, take care of yourselves. Be safe. Work hard. Be happy. And keep being the people that our pets deserve. See you next week.